Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We will continue in our series in Strong. So 1 Peter is a book that's written to the church that is scattered because of persecution, and yet he calls them the scattered who are chosen by God, a a special place that they have been chosen, sought after, provided redemption for, and salvation was applied to their hearts when they responded by faith, and that is the highest position you can ever attain on earth, one who is born again, chosen by God, and saved. So, in that state, we are considered strong, standing in the grace, as it says, and he concludes in chapter 5, that we are to stand strong. And so, my prayer is that we would become a church, a people. We would become moms and dads, children, grandparents who stand strong in the face of any kind of opposition, internally and externally. And this morning, we are looking at this firm foundation of a living hope. And the way that you can stand strong, the way that you build a strong building, a strong edifice, is that the foundation is absolutely solid. And your foundation in this living hope is exactly what we're going to go through here. So there is a point in time where you are not on a firm foundation. And maybe that's true of you today still. You've never given your life to Christ. You've never cemented your life in all that Jesus Christ has done for you. You may be here and you may be trying to live life on your own, on your own resources, of your own emotions, and your own intellect, and you will fall. Your foundation will absolutely crumble. And so this message is about standing on this foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this foundation, first of all, is resting on the supernatural power of God, not on the ingenuity of your soul, of your mind, not on your willfulness of your heart that you just think things are strong when actually they're not, but it's on Jesus Christ. It's not on how you feel. Do you feel vulnerable? Do you not feel vulnerable? Do you feel like a nut or do you not feel like a nut, even though you may be? But you know it's not feelings, it's what you No, and one of the greatest lessons in life in attaining joy is not living by feelings, but living by faith. Don't ignore feelings, but you don't base your life on feelings, right? You deal with the feelings with what you know to be true, and that changes everything. This is the firm foundation. And first of all, it starts with the very power of God. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it starts off with praise. I mean, if you don't have any other reason to praise God... You can praise Him for this right here. Here it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're talking about your foundation of your faith is based upon a supernatural power, not a human power. Not human will, divine will. It starts off with... Praise be to God. So 
what he's about to say will lead you into worship. If you have a hard time worshiping, it's probably you need to review or you need to learn what he's about to say. Because when you learn this, you start to worship. If you're not worshiping, you don't, you're not focusing on this. It goes hand in hand. Blessed be the God and Father, according to his great mercy. In other words, our salvation is not according to our righteousness. It's not according to human mercy. You know how that works. We tend to give forgiveness and mercy to those who deserve it, right? That's how our system works. That's how our heart begins to flow. We think some situation is sad enough or some person has earned it, then we give forgiveness and we give mercy. Let me, let me stop there. You and I are to forgive and to give mercy the way God does, which is unlimited, abundant, overflowing. I mean, and to, to where their sin abounds, grace much the more abounds. Forgiveness abounds even more. That's what it says. And so this, according to His great mercy, which is unceasing, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. So you must be born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. It's the born again experience. Have you been born again? Have you even heard that term? The first time we're born, it's not so good, right? We are born. Well, first of all, birth is great, right? Fantastic. I mean, uh, obviously, I am not speaking of this from experience, but... I hear, I hear, and I've witnessed, it's, it can be very, very uncomfortable to give birth, right? Is that a fair, is that a fair statement? Is that a fair statement? It's, it can be uncomfortable. It can be very, very painful to give birth. And that birth is eclipsed by the joy and the abundance of, of this life of a child that is here. And, and this child is great and incredible as he or she is still a sinner by nature, okay? Hasn't willfully sinned yet, I would suspect, at, as an infant. But by nature, there's something in this child, there's something in the bloodline, this, this imputation of sin from Adam is still in this child, as adorable as they are, I mean, I admit. But that adorable bundle of joy in just a few months will get on your nerves, right? And then eventually get into your cabinets, right? And then mess up your carpet and then eventually wreck your car, right? And so we know there is, uh, there is a problem within the soul of every single person. And that's why Jesus says, you must, you must be born anew, again. There's something about our old soul that is condemned at a certain time when there is an awareness, a time of reason or outside of this moment, this grace that's on a child, general grace. And then at that moment of awareness, there is a guilt and a conviction that sets in a soul. And there must be an experience where you are born again to where at one moment you're dead in your trespasses and sin. And then by faith in Jesus, in a nanosecond, an event, you are born again. And all that has happened to you, you will be discovering for all eternity. And I will imagine, and I do imagine, and I hope you imagine with me, that once you get into heaven and you see all that took place in salvation to where, you know, now we look through a glass darkly, but soon we'll see it face to face. I imagine that what I will, I will be thinking is, man, I wish I had this much realization of my salvation 
when I was back in time on earth, right? The earth has not seen what God can do through a man, through a woman who totally understands his salvation and totally knows the power of God. And it starts right here with this foundation. You must be born again. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, we have been born again. He has given us new birth into a living hope. Now, look at that word given. He has given us new birth into a living hope. You don't earn it. You can't buy it. Your first birth doesn't make you privileged to it. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. Uh, the more needy you realize you are, the greater awareness you have of this great mercy that you have. God has been given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we're talking about unlimited power, the kind of power that can take someone who is stone cold dead for three days and raise them up again. Now, the resurrection was basically God's amen to when Jesus says, it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, he paid the price for every single one of your sins. He was dead and then he rose again. How do we know he rose again? Do you know there's more historical evidence of the resurrection than the fact that Abraham Lincoln was born? Did you know that? More. Sir, Sir Henry Walter, I believe his name is, set out to disprove the resurrection, and later was converted when he looked at all the information. Josephus, a contemporary of the very first church of John and Paul and Peter. This guy was writing when Peter was alive. And Josephus, a, a secular historian, talks about the disciples of Jesus seeing him after he rose from the dead. Another guy set out an attorney, an investigative attorney who was... Uh, he, he wrote, I think he was an editor for the Chicago Tribune, and he set out to disprove the resurrection. You know why he wanted to disprove the resurrection? Because his wife got born again, and he didn't want her going to those crazy churches that believe in people raising from the dead. So he wanted to shut her up. So he put his legal mind, an attorney, in investigative reporting to prove that the resurrection never took place. You know what the result is? A case for Christ. <laughs> Lee Strobel wrote a book proving the resurrection after it's all said and done. Listen, Jesus rose from the dead. If, if, if they wanted to shut the church down, all they had to do is produce the body with the nails, with the scars, and they, they would all shut up. The Christianity would have never existed. Eleven guys that were running for their lives all of a sudden turned around after seeing a man come back to life, a Savior come back to life, who did exactly what he predicted to do. Their life was radically changed, and they stood up and said, God, use me to proclaim this message within a matter of days. I'm telling you, he rose again. Also, you must be born again. You, have to, you need to be born again. It's simple. We'll get into that in a second. But look what happens. So this firm foundation exists because of the supernatural power of God from the, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But also, this incredible foundation of the living hope is the result of God's glorious gift. Look at it. And into an inheritance. You've been born again into an inheritance. Let's go back to the child thing. So your child is born. He begins to walk or she begins to walk. And there's just a couple things that they need to they need to take these certain steps 
And as you begin as a new believer, you must take these certain steps. Those of you who are committed as a disciple and you're committed to making disciples, this is a key point in their maturing and their growing up and is understanding the inheritance, the sonship rights as a Christian. Those things that have been endued and promised and guaranteed for you and for me, and it changes the way we live. But what he says about this is this inheritance. You know, there are those that do receive an inheritance from parents. There are those that never receive a penny. But everybody does receive what is most valuable in life. You, you can convey certain things that are way beyond gold that you must not leave home without. You, they, they must be endued. They must be second nature to a child. And identity is one of them. A child must know who they are. If, if you're parenting and you're grandparenting, you, the, your main objective, one of your main objectives is identity. Because if, if you don't give the godly identity to a child, of what his scriptural inheritance is all about, what God the Father says about that child, then they will go to the world looking for identity and looking for love in all the wrong places, right? So we must reinforce that over and over and over. Your job, parents, listen, your job is not done with this identity. I mean, still, I have grown kids. It's still my job to keep reinforcing identity. Same thing is true with our spiritual father. His identity that he shares gives, restores over and over is right here. And it isn't an inheritance. That is, look at these four things. Imperishable. It, 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 it cannot die. It cannot decay. This is an inheritance that no one can steal. It's uncorruptible. It, not only can it, can it not die, it just can't be, it can't migrate into something else. It can't morph into something else. It, it, you, it can't be distorted, and it's unfading. It, it never loses its value, and it is kept in heaven for you. Now, here's what is true. You can understand the idea of the inheritance of God, and then, and then you could just forget about it as though it perishes out of your mind. It, it might be something that you learned as a child, and then you have entertained your mind with so many other things and so many corruptible things that it just goes away. Or it could be that we've corrupted the inheritance of God, that you, you, you knew it at one time as a Christian, and, and it's just been corrupted. You begin to doubt the very character of God because of some of the life experiences you've gone through. You're thinking maybe God doesn't love me like the Bible says he does because I'm looking at my life experience and I don't know what's going on. Also, it says that it cannot fade, but yet actually some Christians, their view of the inheritance, their view of salvation has somewhat faded. You remember what you were like when you first were born again and the excitement and the joy and how you wanted to tell everybody. And yet it may be in your case that it's kind of faded and it's become a little dull. It's not as bright and brilliant as it once was. Listen, brother and sister, just because your view of God has changed doesn't mean His gift has changed, right? 
God's gift is still incorruptible, unfading, cannot die, and it's kept in heaven for you and for me for, those, for that day when it will be revealed. See, here's, some, here's a reality. Salvation is by faith. It's not actually experienced completely. I will go to heaven, you will go to heaven on the basis of what Jesus Christ did, and it's by faith, and when we see him face to face, then we will receive all of it. We will experience our, our place. The penalty is gone. The presence of sin is gone. And we will be in a palace. And that is by faith. And it's kept in heaven for you and for me. And you can't get it dirty. You can't hurt it at all. You can't change the salvation that you've received. You can't. I mean, it's, it's waiting for you. Um, please, journey with me for a second. Walk with me for that moment and what happens and when we, when we pass from this life to the next and we, we will stop breathing for, for some reason or another. Um, some of you would like to know that reason. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how it's going to happen to you. I don't know how it's going to happen to me, but it will happen, right? Unless the Lord comes back, amen, before you die. But when you do, I believe this. I believe there will be some type of angel that comes and just kind of brings you in to his presence. And your, your eyes will be opened. You'll see things you've never seen before because your capacity of sight will be heightened. Your ears, your body. I mean, talk about being regenerated, a whole new life. Seeing the very presence of God. And obviously, if we die before the Lord comes back, there will eventually be a gathering back together and a marriage supper of the Lamb that takes place, right? Then there'll be the Bema Seat judgment. Then there'll be the final judgment. And then there'll be the full fruition of all of salvation. But each step of the way will be more than my little puny mortal body can handle, right? It will blow us away. And that's being kept and waiting. And when we see Him face to face, we will begin that journey into full salvation where it's given. But right now, we don't possess that. We do by faith. But the Lord, since He hasn't given us all of that yet, He has given us something in the meantime. And what is it? The Holy Spirit. That's right. The Holy Spirit is the earnest gift. It's the down payment of what is to come. And that's what He means by this statement where He says it's kept in heaven for you who are being protected by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. So listen, <clears throat> salvation is fantastic now, and we'll get into that in just a second. But man, just hold on. It gets better and better and better. And I'm telling you, this hope, this blessed hope is a strong foundation for you to live even on earth. Look at this section, number three. So this salvation, this, this foundation is sustained by God's protection. Look at verse five. It is being protected by God's power. His incredible, omniscient surveillance, watching and scanning in every single way. There is no way, no how you can lose your salvation. No way. Listen to me. One of the biggest obstacles in a Christian's life is the doubt of salvation once they really have it. 
And that's what drags people back. You, you lose joy. You, you, you lose purpose. If you're always worrying about, am I really alive and am, am I not alive? Could you imagine having that conversation? Before you get up in the morning, your eyes are still closed and you're going, am I alive? I don't know if I'm alive. What a crazy conversation. You're so busy worrying about that that you're not taking care of business of the day. So doubting salvation is a hindrance to the Christian. It's contrary to the will of God. Now, I will say this. There is merit. There is a good reason to make your calling and election sure. The Bible tells us to do that. But as you look through a passage like this and you evaluate your heart, you must come to a conclusion. And I, would, I tell people often, I said, look, when somebody says, I'm struggling with my salvation, I said, man, I'm so glad you came to talk. And we would walk through the steps. But I will tell you this, I don't think it's healthy to look back to the past to see if we're saved. I don't. I think there can be some, some memory loss. I think there can be um, some emotion that you don't remember. The Bible never tells us to look back to see if we're saved. The Bible says it's today. Look today. Where do you stand today? Do you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior today, right now? Is He your magnificent obsession? Are you aware of His death, burial, and resurrection? Does it thump within your heart? Does, do you know about the condemnation of sin that is waiting for those that die without Jesus? Are you aware of that? And have you turned to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, who died in our place? Have you trusted Him as Lord and Savior now? And you say, yes, and I say, you're saved. That's simple. Some people who look to the past, they, they'll do this. I've had many people say this. You know what? I know I'm not living right, and I don't care about this, and I don't care about the Lord, and I don't care about the future. But back way long time ago, I bowed my head and prayed a simple little prayer. And I'm going, you know what? Um, that simple little prayer doesn't seem to have any impact on your life now. See, his salvation is incorruptible, unfading, kept, secured, a promise for you and for me. And it's something that's right in front of us. Now, I realize we can neglect what God has done inside of us. Absolutely. We can stray. Absolutely. That happens. We can sin. In fact, if you claim to be without sin, you just did. Yeah. So we do fall short, right? I'm not saying there's not a re-upping or a recommitment. You come to the Lord's Supper and you say, Lord, I'm giving you my life afresh. I seem to have been drifted, but man, I know I know you. But it's a today thing. It's a now thing. And God doesn't want us to doubt our salvation. He wants us to make it right every single day, clear. But look at this. Also, he says this, rejoice in all circumstances. A firm foundation causes us to rejoice in all situations. Look at verse 6. You rejoice in this. Though now for a short time you have had to be distressed by various trials. Isn't that incredible? And here's where the rubber meets the road. We see this great, incredible salvation that we have, and yet, contrary to what you would expect, there is still a joy no matter what the situation in life is, no matter the hardship, because there are some, there's three characteristics of all trials that you and I need to be aware of, and the first one is this, trials are short. And you say, I don't know. Seems like they've been going on for a long, long time. Now listen, they are short. 
I know what I'm talking about. I know lifelong trials. I know them very, very well. But brothers and sisters, in light of what he has just said, in light of eternity, life is but a vapor. It is short. These people were running for their lives. And he says this, you rejoice because you know it's short. It's momentary light afflictions compared to the glory that will be revealed. Romans chapter 8. When you put it in that perspective, you're like saying, that's awesome. I just have a few more years of this. And then it's going to be great. There's something. This, when we talk about the steps that a, that a new child needs to take, that a new believer needs to take, it's this firm foundation. It will not fade. The next one is it's protected by God. The next one is all trials come into perspective of God's incredible glory. And it results in joy. Man, I was studying this week and just looking up joy and how many times joy is used in the New Testament. How many times Paul and Peter use joy? It's one after another, pray in joy, live in joy, experience in joy, give in joy, over and over and over. It's like this incredible gift, a small portion of salvation is joy, but it like fires up your whole life. It's like that nuclear reactor deep within the heart that keeps you moving to where you never, ever run out of fuel. You don't run out of gas, and it's just joy. joy. In fact, let's just get there. He just says, you rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had, you have had, had to be distressed by various trials. So we know this, trials are short. Secondly, Trials reveal genuine character or genuine faith so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes through fire, may result in praise, glory, honor at the revelation. So trials do this. They're short. Number two, they reveal who you are. You know, I, I, learn, I learn more about people when they hit their thumb with a hammer than any other time. <laughs> right? Um. When we, when we interview staff members, we talk about how, you know, they're, they always like to tell, which I like, it's what you do in a resume. You tell about all the things you've done that are good. And then I'll just ask, hey, uh, tell me about a time that you fell. I'm like, why do you want to hear that? Because I need to hear that. Tell me about a time that you were corrected scripturally and you changed. Tell me that. Tell me how you went through a hard trial and yet that trial revealed a weakness in your soul, in your character, and you readjusted. See, that, that's the hard part. It, it, it's not that we have to stay out of trials. You can't do that. It's what happens to you in trials. And let me quote the cliche. Trials either make you bitter or they make you what? Better. Exactly. That is a, that is a rule that is golden. How do you come out of the trial? What trials always reveal weakness in me. But then I have a question. What am I going to do about it? Am I even going to do self-evaluation? Am I going to become self-aware? Am I going to see my weaknesses? Am I going to respond to the criticism, which 65%, 80% of the criticism is wrong, but that other 35, 20% is right? See, when somebody's shooting at you, they very seldom hit the bullseye, but they do hit the target somewhere. Trials do that as well. How are you going to respond to trials? When, when I visit um, people in the midst of trials, I usually, there's usually two or three things that I say in my mind 
You know, in mind, I was like, boy, I, I wish they would have been at church when we talked about this, but they weren't. And they could have been equipped for this very moment, whether it was marriage or whether it was a great loss or whether it was uh, a surgery or whatever. I wish they could have been under the teaching of the Word of God so they'd be per- better prepared for this trial. I, I think that sometimes. Because they'll say, well, what about this? And I say, man, if you would have been in this series and been at church, you would have had it exactly. You would have memorized this by now. That's one thought I have. Another thought I have is this. Boy, they have no idea how important this pain is right now. Did you know that if, if the presence of God was geographical, a location, let's just, assume, just for illustration, let's just assume that, that God's presence, as you, as you grow in your faith and you walk as a new believer and you're walking closer and closer to the Lord, how many of you know that God's gr- greater presence is surrounded by pain? Meaning you must go through Paul says this, you must go through many trials to be aware and to know. And so when James says, count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials, it's because this is a testing and approving of your character to where he calls it this, more valuable than gold. Would you rather have your weight of gold? Or would you rather have your weight of sterling quality character? Say character. I mean, please. Um, your, your weight in gold is, is millions, right? Millions. Maybe, I don't know. Billions, I don't know. It's a lot. It's got a lot of zeros. But the quality of your character? Wow. I remember leaving a hospital room in San Antonio from one of our members. And... Um, I don't, think, I don't think he was ever a teacher. Um, I don't think he held any position. And I remember leaving his room. I'd been there maybe an hour. And I went there to encourage him. And uh, boy, was I wrong. That brother poured more into me in that time, just a simple conversation. And I remember walking out of that room, and I'm just thinking, man, I was in the presence of greatness. It was just glorious to just spend time with somebody who trusts Jesus so much that even the midst, while they're flat on their back, has so much joy. You ever, you ever drive in and you have a light flashing at you on your dash? What are those called? Idiot lights, right? Idiot lights. <laughs> I didn't say that. That's, that's just what they're called. Lack of joy is an idiot light. It's an idiot light. It's like, hey, dummy, the simplest things in life, joy. Watch what he says. So we, uh, this strong foundation also rests on the foundation of our faith in someone we do not see, but we experience him. See, you worship Jesus Christ. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You can't see him, yet you love him. And what does he do? He brings you this joy. Look at this passage. You love him, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, and though not seeing him now, you believe in him. So Peter is saying this. The guy who knows what it's like to follow Jesus, who saw him, 
And he's right. He goes, listen, you guys are serving him. You're in the midst of trials. They're short. They're revealing something. And, and, and eventually you're going to receive the joy and the reward of your suffering. And then he goes on and says, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. By, by the nature of, this, of the semantics of this passage, the crescendo here is you experience him with inexpressible, glorious joy. You're in the midst of trials, you're running for your life, but yet you have joy. And if you don't, it's so powerful, it cannot be inexpressible. Paul uses the same term. I can't explain it. I don't know why I'm joyful. I know a lost person, someone who doesn't know Jesus, in my position, would not be joyful, but for some reason I am. You know why? Because I love him, I don't see him, but I'm waiting for the return, I'm waiting for the reward, and I have this joy. And a lack of joy is like driving your life with a flashing idiot light going, you need to stop, you need to stop, you need to stop, you need to refuel. Do not live this life without this kind of joy. Why do we have it? Because we have a firm foundation, a salvation that'll never leave you, never fade, never be corrupted, kept in heaven, waiting for you to be revealed even when you go through trials, just wait for your reward to come. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenmeadows Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.